This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in this earth. And I thank you that you are specifically here today. I pray that you would touch our hearts, change our way of thinking, help us see things the way you see them. Rest upon each one here in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This, uh, this little manner, I could have blown it up a little bit more, but uh, you don't even see all of it here. This is a portion of a, of a place called Blenheim Palace. Uh, it's over in England. It's the only non-royal residence that is given the title palace. It's a little 2,100-acre uh, estate that was, uh, that was granted to the first Earl of Marlborough. Uh, I don't think he smoked. But granted to the first Earl of Marlborough, Earl of Marlborough, that rhymes. Okay, I just noticed that. Uh, for his, his role in the, the, the victory of the Battle of Blenheim, um, this is a little more uh, up-close shot of it. It's got 200 rooms in it, um, over 600 windows. It's a booger to clean. Uh, <laughs> And uh, it was, uh, the, the grounds are really amazing there. The grounds were also uh, put together. They were designed and maintained by a man named Lancelot Capability Jones. And if, you're La- if your name is Lancelot Capability Jones, you better do good work. That's just, that is all there is to it. Uh, in the 20th century, uh, a sort of um, uh, unplanned, uh, well, actually it was in the 19th century. Wow. Wow, yeah. In the 19th century, a sort of un- unplanned uh, occurrence happened there. Uh, the Earl's niece-in-law, I guess you would call her, was visiting at the time. And uh, she was with child. She was pregnant. They didn't know when the child was going to come. And she wanted to have the child at home, but she wasn't able to make it back home. So uh, Sir Winston Churchill was born there uh, at, at Blenheim on November the 30th. Uh, 1874. So I guess he has a birthday coming up tomorrow. <laughs> wow. I'm just learning all kinds of things here. Uh, we know a little bit better today about, about some of these things and how to, how to, uh, to time them, but we still don't necessarily know. I mean, they can go, you know, well, you're due on such and such, but that's, you know, I think they're just guessing because I don't know anybody that's ever had a baby on their due date. One? Okay, we got one. 
in the room this size. But anyway, I, you don't, you, okay, two. All right. Uh, but unless, you know, unless they're doing a C-section, we, you know, we still don't know. Now, they can, they can uh, I guess they could probably extract some DNA and tell you what the eye color is going to be and the hair color is going to be and if they're going to be susceptible to certain kinds of diseases or not. But one thing they will never be able to look at the DNA and tell you is whether or not this child is going to be great. They had no idea when this baby was born that he was going to end up being great. Or even if the baby is going to be beautiful. I, I, I know one thing, the baby will be beautiful to you and to almost no one else who looks at it the first week or two. But, but to you it will be. And that's what matters. That's what counts. Will, will the and you won't know if the child's going to be great. Maybe, maybe great to you, but you don't know if it's going to become a great leader that people know or, or maybe a great servant who's, that only God knows, who we don't even know about. God keeps his secrets just as any great king does. However, he, he did reveal some important information about his son, uh, and about his son's birth. One of the things that he revealed was, uh, was where it was going to be. Uh, when the Magi arrived uh, in Jerusalem, uh, and they were foreigners following signs, they didn't, know, they didn't know that much. They just knew that the king of the Jews had been born. And they said, where is, it? where is the king of the Jews supposed to be born? Well, the people on the street didn't know, and the king didn't know. They finally... Uh, uh, got the scholars and said, where is he supposed to be born? It's got to be in Scripture somewhere. And oh, yes, it is. There's a passage of Scripture that obviously was not particularly well known, but uh, the, prophet, the prophet Micah said this, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. That Ephrathah actually means fruitful. And it's uh, long um, been associated with the central part of Israel, the tribe of Ephraim, the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Judah, right there in the central part around Jerusalem. And the reason that it's included there is to uh, distinguish which Bethlehem it was to be. There's more than one Bethlehem even in Israel, and we've got Bethlehems here, but it was to distinguish which one it was to be. And uh, Bethlehem is perfect. It's just perfect for Messiah to come. I mean, God's perfect in all of his ways. But uh, Bethlehem was known as the, the city of David. And the reason it was known as the city of David, well, there are two reasons it was known as the city of David. One, it was where he was born. It's where, where his ancestral home was. It's where he came from. If you read the book of Ruth, Ruth was David's uh, great-grandmother. Uh, I believe I've got that right. Uh, she was his great-grandmother. And uh, the book of Ruth takes place in Bethlehem. That's where uh, when, when Naomi and Ruth left Moab, they went to Bethlehem. And that's where Boaz was. And, and that's where Obed was born and Jesse was born and, and David was born. So great-grandmother is what that would make her. Uh, but not only was it where he was born, it was also where he was anointed king. And, and when I first, uh, when I first uh, read that, I went, I don't know about that. Because, I mean, I thought Hebron, he was anointed. But it's where Samuel anointed him king. That's where, it's where Samuel anointed him king over all of Israel. Now, he didn't become king for a while uh, because it doesn't always happen right away. 
but it will happen if God pronounces it and proclaims it. So it was the city of David, and it was right for Messiah to come from the city of David because he would be known as the son of David. When David decided that he wanted to build a temple, the prophet Nathan came to him and said, no, you're not supposed to build a temple. This is what the Lord has said. A son will come from you, and he'll be the one to build the temple. And not only that, he will reign on your throne forever and ever. And so in waiting for the Messiah, they were waiting for the son of David. And so it was proper for him to come from Bethlehem. And it was also small. God delights in taking the small things and the despised things and, and, and using them to do something great, to do something glorious. And you know what? We do too. Uh, let me read a passage of scripture here uh, from 1 Corinthians. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast in him. God likes to choose the little things and, and do big things with them. And, and we, do too. we love to see Goliath fall before David. I mean, we're always rooting for the underdog, right? Unless we're for Alabama. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, but we really do. We got that thing inside of us. We like to see the little guy win. We like to see the little guy come out on top. Or the little gal, I guess we could probably say. Also, come out on top. And you know why we like that? Because he likes that. And we're created in his image. And that's the way that things work in the kingdom, in the world. Uh, you know, we love the big and the, and the gaudy and, and it costs a lot and it's strong and it's powerful. But every one of those things is coming to nothing. Every one of those things, those big, beautiful, expensive things will rot and one day be nothing but dust and ashes. In the kingdom, it, it, it starts the other way around. See, the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but you plant it and it becomes a big tree and it provides shelter for the, for the animals and it provides homes for the birds of the air. And so the kingdom of God started out in the womb of a virgin and then became a little baby and then became a man and then had a few followers and then had some more followers and, and is much bigger today. And you know what? It's not going to get smaller. It gets bigger. Because that's what happens in the kingdom of God. So we knew where it was, where it was going to happen and, and uh, in terms of where he was going to be born. But that actually, there, there's one other prophecy I want to, I want to look at real quickly here uh, from Isaiah. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 says, In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali, but in the future... He will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So he was going to come out of Bethlehem, but he was going to honor this land of Zebulun and, and land of Nephtali. And if, you, if you're not familiar with those, they were two of the more obscure uh, sons of Jacob, but they were two of the tribes of Israel, and they're up in the north. And I discovered that my pointer has a is is a pointer. I have a see that thing, woohoo! Yeah, I'm like a kid. Okay, all right. Just wanted to show you that. No, actually, I wanted to use it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, now I'm not real steady, so it's a good thing I'm not a surgeon. 
Uh, all right, that, 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 that blue stuff there that the green dot is dancing on, okay, that's the Sea of Galilee. And so Naphtali and Zebulun are up near the Sea of Galilee, and there's a town right on the border of those two called Nazareth. And that's where Jesus began his ministry. And he was actually known as Jesus of Nazareth because the prophet said he was going to honor the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, a land that had been somewhat despised, Galilee of the Gentiles. So where he came from, the honor that would, that would be brought to different geographical places. Uh, okay, and, and he, even, he even told us who. He didn't give us a name, but he gave us some interesting information. He said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He was born of a virgin. Uh, the first hint of this was, of course, over in Genesis, uh, where God was speaking to the serpents and, and, and said, the seed of woman will crush your head. You'll strike his heel. Uh, it was necessary for Christ that he be born not of the line of Adam, but that he be a human. So he was born of a virgin. That was a solutionary. And people have, people have, sometimes people have problems with this. Some people, sometimes people go, well, you know, I don't, I don't know. I can't buy that virgin birth thing. Well, you know what? You can still be saved. You don't have to believe the virgin birth to be saved because that's not the qualifier. However, if you are saved and you do believe in Christ as your Savior, why wouldn't you believe the virgin birth? I mean, you know, I, if God can split the Red Sea, if God can calm the winds and the waves with, with just a word, if God can bring forth water from the rock and rain down manna from heaven, uh, why can't he do this? Say, well, well, if God can open the eyes of the blind, if God can, can cause the lame to be able uh, to walk, if God can, can heal those uh, who, who, have, who, who have diseases and who've been sick for long periods of time, if he can do those things, why can't he do this? Say, well, I don't know about all those miracle things. Well, do you believe God can raise the dead? Because if you don't believe God can raise the dead, then you're not a Christian. Because that is the important thing. And if God can raise the dead, I don't have any problem with him being able to bring forth a child from a virgin. I don't have any problem with him being able to split the Red Sea. I don't have any problem with him being able to do any of these things if he can raise the dead. And to be a believer, you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and that God on the third day raised him from the dead. So, virgin birth, nice piece of information there. One thing he did not tell us was when. And that's probably the thing that bugs us. I mean, we, we, we're interested in when. When, when are things going to happen? Now, some people are more, some people are more uh, concerned about time than others. I am a time-conscious person. I, I am uh, the kind of person who, you know, I want it to start on time. I want it to end on time. I, I just, I, 
You know, I'm sorry, that's who I am. I know I was raised Pentecostal. I shouldn't be that way. You know, I feel guilty about it, but that's, that's, that's who I am. That's just it. Uh, and uh, not everybody is time conscious, but everybody, uh, everybody, you know, when, even those who aren't time conscious, at, at some point in time, they go, well, why, why isn't there time to do that? Well, because you weren't paying attention. But anyway, there's... Uh, Here's why God doesn't tell us when things are going to happen. So here's why he doesn't give us a date, doesn't give us a time. It's because we're stupid. And if we knew exactly when something was going to happen, oh, God, Christ is coming back in 18 days? That means I don't have to pay off this credit card. I should probably drive a Mercedes for the next 18 days because I'll never have to make a payment on it. I mean, we're that way. We're that way. If we knew exactly when he was coming back or exactly when we were checking out, a lot of us would kind of go, well, I mean, you know, if you knew you only had 18 days, you'd probably get yourself straightened out. But if you knew you had 18 years, then a lot of us would spend the next 17 years and 11 months and two weeks, or three, just doing whatever we, just, just destroying our lives. Because we know, oh, I, that last two weeks I can fix it. And get right with God. So he doesn't, but let me tell you, he does, he does tell us when, he just doesn't give us a time. Uh, Galatians tells us when he was born. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might, might receive the adoption to sonship. When the time had fully come, when the time is right. He's never early, he's never late, he's always when it's right. Christ will come back when it's right. When is my healing going to happen? When it's right. When am I going to get through this situation? When it's right. I asked God to do this when it's right. David was anointed king. He didn't become king until the time was right for that to happen in his life. And so the prophets told us when he was going to come, uh, in a sense. Told us where he was going to be from. Told us he was going to be born of a virgin. What, you know, what, what else? Well, we don't know his eye. Well, we do probably do. It's probably brown eyes. Uh, prob- prob- probably black hair. There's a lot we don't know about. We don't know how tall he was. We don't know how much he weighed. Uh, a lot of things that, that don't really matter. We don't know if he could sing uh, or things like that. Uh, <clears throat> but we do know some important stuff because the prophet told us he will be great. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. When he comes, he will reign. He will be a king and he will usher in a reign of peace. When I was uh, when I was younger, 
I uh, at, at times tended to be a little rash about things. And uh, some people who knew me when I was younger uh, still haven't realized that I'm no longer rash at all. You know. But, uh, but I, I was. I was rash. I was competitive back in that day. Uh, and, uh, and I didn't appreciate peace. I didn't appreciate And most of us don't appreciate it. Because we live in a relatively peaceful situation, a relatively peaceful land. I mean, people... Ah. Wait a minute. Yeah, it works. Okay. <laughs> Rel- relatively peaceful situation. People get shot. People, you know, every now and then, you know, something really tragic happens and everything. But bombs aren't falling and we, we aren't, we, we don't experience in our lives full-out war for the most part. And so, you know, oh yeah, peace. That's a great thing. The world has never known it. Uh, we can't imagine what a world of peace would be like. We can't imagine. Our fathers didn't know it. Our forefathers didn't know it. Our ancestors didn't know it. Ever since Eden, it has not existed in this world. He will usher in a world of peace on, on Advent 3, on the, on the 13th. There's going to be a, some interesting things happening on the 13th, by the way. But on Advent 3, uh, uh, we're going to be talking about the return of the king and, and, and what that will mean. But just, just a couple of things here. And he will, uh, his kingdom will be upheld with justice and righteousness. Kingdoms tend to fall. Governments tend to fall because they get rotten from the inside out. And so they fall, whether it's a czar in Russia or, or whether it's uh, Caesar in Rome or, or, or whatever. None of them last forever because they are not established with justice and righteousness. Justice is... It's a crapshoot. Can I say that? Shall we take? Yes, I did. You're right. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, it's it's uh, yeah. It, it, it's hit or miss. You never know. You never know in this world if justice is going to be served or not served. If the right one's going to win or not win, his kingdom will be established forever in justice. And righteousness, which means everything he does will be right. And it will last forever. One last thing, and we've already read this passage of Scripture. He will be great, not just because he's going to rule, not just because he's going to bring in a a world of peace, not just because he's going to bring justice and righteousness, but because he will save his people from their sins. How is he going to do that? How is he going to save his people from their sins? Is he going to come and teach us how to not sin? Well, you know what? That doesn't work. We figured that out with Moses. You can teach a a human being how to not sin, but they're going to do it anyway. How does he save his people from their sins? Well, the prophet also told us that. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was pierced for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace 
was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. And that's the good news. That's the gospel that you've been entrusted with. This season is one of the two seasons of the year, Easter being the other, but this one probably even more so than Easter when we've got their attention. There are people out there who don't know the story. They don't know what this is all about. They they don't know. They really don't know. And and you do know. And, And it's not just about... Oh, the Son of God came and was, and was born. The Son of God came and was born, yes. And then He lived, and then He died, and then He was resurrected from the dead. And He can absolutely flat out change your life, because He changed mine. The offer is eternal life. And, and all you have to do is believe. And there's a lot of reasons to believe. Ample reasons to believe. You've got a whole generation of believers, well, not you know everybody who was on the earth, but 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 scores of believers from a generation who allowed their lives to be martyred because they said, "I saw Jesus Christ raised from the dead." That's strong stuff. If somebody will will let themselves be killed for something that they said, "I'm an eyewitness to." All you have to do is believe. You know, when I, when I came back to the Lord in my mid-20s, uh, one of the biggest obstacles that I had <laughs> was I was thinking, man, if I do this, if I give my life to Christ, he's going to mess my life up. I'm not going to do get to do the stuff that I enjoyed so much doing. I like doing it. I just don't. And I finally, I mean, what ended up being the breakthrough was I finally just went, okay, you know, it's true. <sighs> I got to do it. I mean, I'm, you know, all right, I'm, here I am. Just, just go ahead and mess my life up. And, and, you know, and within a few months, I began to realize there was no way he could mess my life up. It was already a hot mess. I had already made just a total train wreck out of it. And so it wasn't, you know, well, you know, get your life straight. And maybe, maybe if you're good enough, boy, Jesus will, will love you. No, God loves you. God loves you. Jesus loves you. And as you go into this season, get, let your, get your spiritual antennas up. Or uh, as Wayne was telling me between service, your spiritual GPS, gospel positioning service. And it's not a matter of you, you know, going to look for some victim to, to witness to. Ooh, that looks like a sinner. <laughs> Sir <laughs> or madam, whichever the case may be. No, he'll, sit, he'll bring them to you if you're ready. If you're ready and, you, and you're ready to just, to just share Jesus' love. He'll, he'll, people will, will say to you, what's this about? What's that about? Bring them to see it's a wonderful life. There's this angel in it, and he is so good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no bring, bring them to, I mean, you, you can talk about stuff after that. 
We've, uh, there's some videos on, online of some interviews of the cast members. And uh, one of the questions is, why do you think this story is so beloved? And, and, and the two extremes that I love the most are, are one, of the, one of the persons starts talking about the, the human experience, which is totally fine, you know. Uh, but then, but then uh, Zuzu Bailey says, I think it's so loved because it's a lot of fun and you learn about friends. <laughs> okay, that's great. But, but you can talk about things and just be ready. This is not just about eating food and seeing old friends and getting a, getting a lot of food and getting warm fuzzies on carols by candlelight. This is about eternity. Eternity. And just, just be ready. Just be ready. This is the news of the gospel. This is the powerful news that has been entrusted to you. This is supreme over every thought, over every philosophy, over every system. And this is the season when people are willing to hear the story. Would you stand with me? And I don't know what your traditions are, your family traditions are. But I would encourage you at, at some point, whether it's just you and your spouse or you and your friends or you by yourself or you and your, your children, your family, at some point, read the story. Read it. It's in, it's in Matthew. It's in Luke. Luke talks about the shepherds. Matthew talks about the, the magi. Read it. Make it a part. Are those who are going to minister to people come down at this time? And if you're here and you need prayer, you come. This is also a season when a lot of people are hurting. And that opens a lot of them up to hearing the story. It's also a season when a lot of people are lonely. That opens them up to hearing the story. It's not just because they saw some lights and go, what's this about? Look for the hurting. Look for the lonely. If you need prayer today, the, the, from the fullness of His grace, we've all received one blessing after another. Maybe you've got a, a physical problem, a financial problem, a, a, emotional relationship problem, lacking wisdom, whatever. I, I mentioned in the first service, I think Chris is gone. No, he's not getting prayer. Is he out there? Oh, he's already? <laughs> Well, let's do it. Yeah, I mentioned, you know, a lot of you, last week we uh, celebrated the fact that Chris has turned, turned 37 last week. And the doctors had only told him that he probably would never be a teenager. So he told his parents. Yeah, yeah, you're right here. And he comes down for prayer every week. And some people may think, well, why does that guy go down for prayer every week? Well, if you were told that you were only going to live until you were a teenager and you were now 37, you might want prayer every week. But we think, well, I'm going to live forever, or at least i got another few more weeks, uh, so I can wait to pray. No, you can't. If you need something, come. Why would you wait? If you don't need to come, worship with us for a few minutes. Let's create an atmosphere for the Lord to move in the lives of those who do come. I've been captured by a love.